Have you ever had one of those moments when someone restates something or just kind of paints something in a different light and it sort of changes the way you look at something completely? And I gave this homily last night and then this morning when I was praying about it, I thought of kind of an example of this from a movie and once again, it's the movie Aladdin. I promise I don't watch that like all the time. But once again, it provides me with a good illustration, I think. You know, like early on in that movie, you know, the guards are like chasing Aladdin and the little monkey Abu all over the place. And they've got like the monkey cornered and he's got a sword. And all the guards are like, he has a sword. And they're all worried about this little monkey. And then, of course, the lead guard says what changes all of their visions here. He says, you idiots we've all got swords. And then they start chasing Abu the monkey all over the place. And now that song will be in your head the rest of the day. You're welcome. So, but you know how there's just like someone can say something and it changes the way you look at it. And that happened to me a couple weeks ago. I was watching the video of a commencement address from a little school up in New Hampshire. And the commencement speaker is an author I like to read a lot. His name is Phil Lawler. And he was talking about the fact the church is not very good at playing defense. And this is what he meant by that. He talked about a particular scene in scripture that we all know so well. It's when Jesus is asking the apostles, you know, who do people say that I am? Of course, they give off the big list. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of the netherworld will not prevail against it. Now, what he said was that when you look at that image and you think about the fact, once again, the church does not play defense well. And what he meant by that was think about the gates of the netherworld. Now, this is the way I've always thought about it. I've never really talked to anybody that thought about this differently, but that, that image gives such comfort in that knowing it's like, okay, we're out there in the world and we know that like the dark forces of hell and the devil are like always attacking us. We got to hunker down and fight against them, right? But when he said this, he said, think about it. Gates. Gates don't come attacking you, right? Like if you're driving down the street and you pass by, say, a big spooky looking mansion, right, with, with its gates out in front, the gates don't come running at you to like ta- attack the car, right? Gates are there to keep people out, to keep things out. And Jesus said, the gates of the netherworld will not prevail against the church. Ultimately, it's like, think about this. We're not good at playing defense. The gates of the netherworld can't keep the church out. That ultimately, folks, we're not playing defense here. We're on the offensive. We're supposed to be going out there on the attack. Why? because we're on the winning team. And sometimes it's easy to forget that, especially in our fallen world. And I will say, especially in the state of the church right now, we all know that we're kind of in a period of crisis. Although, once again, this is no excuse for the crisis now. But if you look at the 2,000 years of church history, there's always something. There's always something that's attacking us. There's always difficulties. Of course, Personally, I think it's harder when it seems like the problems are from within. Now, what I will say is I was looking at the catechism and thinking about, okay, can we just sort of give like a brief 
definition, a brief summary of what the catechism teaches about what the church is. And I'll just go, you know, read the couple of paragraphs real quick on what the catechism says about the church. Just so you know, the section begins at about paragraph, I think it's 748, and it concludes like somewhere in the 970s. So I'm not just going to start reading from the catechism. But there's one paragraph in particular I want to focus on today. It's paragraph 954 in the catechism, where it quotes both Lumen Gentium, one of the big documents from the Second Vatican Council, and from Pope Paul VI. And that's the fact that the church exists in like three states. Now, you've probably heard of these before, the church militant, the church suffering, and the church triumphant, okay? Now, the church militant, what we're all a part of, the pilgrim church moving through time out there in the world, but not of it, continuing to be led by the successor of Peter and all of the apostles and their successors, moving through time in the world, making the Holy Spirit continually present. That's why we're here right now. I mean, the Holy Spirit, the same one poured out in the apostles, as we heard in the first reading today, is the very same Holy Spirit that in a few moments, I'll say those words of consecration, putting my hands over the gifts, calling down the Holy Spirit. And because he remains present in the pilgrim church, that bread and wine becomes the body and blood, soul and divinity of Christ. If that's not the case, we're wasting our time. There's no reason for us to be here this morning. But I'll give you a hint. It is the case. He is here. We keep going, right? And the pilgrim church continues on with its divine and human elements. Now we know that in the midst of those human elements, there are some bad apples. We know that there's some I mean, I keep saying the word bad. It's not enough. Like, it's terrible. I hate reading about this stuff, and there's no excuse for it. And I feel like every day there's some new story that comes out. But this is where we also get some comfort from the fact that there's the church triumphant, the communion of saints. The fact of the matter is many, countless men and women have come down the centuries, have lived in the church militant, the pilgrim church, and now they rejoice forever in heaven around the throne of our Heavenly Father. In fact, we get into the preface, that prayer leading us into the Eucharistic prayer, we reference the fact that the saints and the angels are with us. They don't go to heaven and just like go to a party and drink a Corona and forget about us. No, they care. They're looking over us all the time. St. Therese once said that she's excited about heaven because she expects to spend her heaven doing good on earth. The saints love us. They care about us. One of my favorite little quotes I've heard about the recent crisis. So people say, when you look at the church, oh, our blessed mother Mary, she's weeping over the church. And I heard someone else say, baloney. Mary's not weeping. She's sweeping. She's taking care of like getting rid of the rot, of letting it come to the surface and letting us sweep it away. The saints care. We have help from on high. We tap into that all the time. And of course, the other state, so the church militant, the church triumphant, the church suffering, those in purgatory, those who have gone before who still need that purification, we have the opportunity now to be praying for them, to help them on through, to move on towards that church triumphant. It's an exciting and dynamic existence and one that we don't have to worry about it going away. I mean, you read the headlines all the time. Oh, this is the end of the church. This is the final thing. Well, as I said last Sunday, I love that quote 
from that cardinal in Paris when Napoleon was marching on and told him he'd destroy the church. As the cardinal said, the priests and bishops have been trying to destroy the church for 1,700 years, and they haven't succeeded, so Napoleon doesn't have a chance, right? We know that the church isn't going anywhere. The Holy Spirit remains present, continues to be here with us, to be sacramentally present in the Eucharist, forgiving sins in the confessional, uniting couples in the Holy Sacrament of Holy Matrimony, baptizing children, and remember, it's when we start to sit back on that and like rest on our laurels and just play defense, that's when the bad things happen. We're not here just to maintain museums, to build our bank account, to just have more influence in the political realm. No, we're called, frankly, to attack the gates of hell. We're here to know that, yes, there is darkness in the world. Those gates of the netherworld exist, but they're no match for the light of Christ. He is risen from the dead. And when we were baptized into that death and that resurrection, we have the sure and certain guarantee that as long as we stay close to him, we're going to be fine. God willing, one day we'll be a part of that church triumphant. And ultimately, those powers of darkness don't stand a chance. We can't just sit back and play defense. Frankly, we're not good at it. Ultimately, what we have to do is know that we're called on to the offensive, that all of us by the fact that we're created in the image and likeness of God, given characteristics by him. Every one of us in here are created a little bit differently. We have a different way of speaking that language of the unity of God, of proclaiming the fact in the world that peace and hope are possible. And the great news is that isn't going away. Even if we see the bad apples coming to the surface and being swept out, ultimately we know We're on the winning team. On this great feast of Pentecost, take heart. Know the fact that Jesus Christ is with us. That that light of Christ burns brightly and overcomes the power of sin and death. No matter how big those gates may seem to be, frankly, folks, we're going to burn them down. So keep staying strong in this. Keep praying every day. Stay close to Christ in the sacraments because we're not just here to rest back and play defense. We're on the offensive to take that love of Christ out into the world today and every day. Praise be Jesus Christ.